Welcome back to the NLN Nursing Edge Unscripted Surface Podcast. Michelle and I are back with Sal. We are super excited to to continue our conversation around roving leadership and its intersection with nursing education based on his book, Roving Leadership, Creating Choices for Meaning and Inspiration. So without further ado, I think we should pick it up where we left off. What do you think? Definitely. Sometimes when a big change has to happen, there's two camps of people the people that don't want to change and the people that are ready for change. So kind of like merging those two concepts, how do we as an informal leader, you know, as a nurse educator, how can we help to, to in, a, in the face of big change, kind of rise up as an informal leader, as a leader, I don't need to put a, a label to it, but as a leader to help create this opportunity for reflection and, and vision to help move the um, program or the, the curriculum or the department forward? I think there's a lot in that, Michelle. Um, one is that with every business group that I work with, what we always do is every six months we sit down and I really have become a pain in the neck with regard to this. I ask the question, what have you learned about your business in the last six months? And almost never have they taken the time to sit down and reflect, you know, what worked, and a lot of that is fear of uh, being penalized. You know, we have to take that away from people. You know, what have we learned about being on this faculty? What have we learned with regard to our students? What have we learned with regard to our stakeholders? Because if we are candid about that in a non-punitive way, it has to be safe. See, all of this stuff only occurs in safety. You know, if if you're in an organization and, and Mildred says something and all of a sudden she gets called in by the dean and says, you know, you're pretty negative, Mildred. Well, guess what? Mildred's shut down. She's never going to take another risk as long as she lives. We have to cultivate that. Okay. The second thing is we have to, uh, I think it's a big mistake, by the way, to ignore resistance. The one that I always love is people say, well, Sal, I'm not very good at conflict. I don't like conflict. Like I get out of bed in the morning and say, I can't wait to have a conflict. You know, nobody likes conflict unless you're a cuckoo bird, all right? <laughs> but you have to let resistance rise. You know, one of the things we use in the planning sessions is we get to a point where we've established, before we have understanding and agreement of all the participants, I always say, okay, this is your last shot to say anything negative about the plan. Tell me what, why you think this will not work. And usually a couple of people, I say, okay, here's the role for the next two days. You are not allowed to say anything negative about the plan. Now, interestingly enough, I have no way to be able to make that happen. But the next day, George says, well, this won't work. And, and Harriet turns to George and says, I'm sorry, George, but I thought we agreed we weren't going to say anything negative. You have now taken away, I mean, George had his opportunity. It wasn't that he didn't have his opportunity. If George is just a, a, a mudraker and stirring the pot because he doesn't want change, you have now taken his key toy away. And almost, uh, almost always, by the way, George will shut up for the rest of the meeting. <laughs> so again, you, you have to understand why people are resisting this, okay? We are afraid of resistance because uh, we think, First of all, it's conflict. Well, one of the things we have to learn is really listen. And, and this is, I think, a key issue in leadership. It is really naive. We take 12 people, we put them in a working group, 
and we expect them to get along. Wonderful. The problem is they're all strangers and they all have their own unexamined beliefs. They all have their own outcomes. They all have their own biases. We need to have ways where the rules of engagement are established. Every team that I work with, and they don't like this, I ask them to establish what the rules of engagement are. And one of the toughest ones, by the way, is no gossiping. You know, what? You're asking me not to gossip about that turkey who I can't stand? Well, that's because you don't understand that person. You have put the label of turkey on her. And guess what? She put the same label on you. You have a contract. The way you break those contracts is for people to get to know each other. You don't have to love everybody in your group, but you have to know what the rules of engagement are. And this is true with regard to, for example, when I was a teacher at the university, there's always somebody who raises their hand and says, how do I get an A? You know, well, you have to establish the rules of engagement between you and the students. You know, what are those rules? Uh, so I think it always gets back to that concept of how do we break down the silos? How do we examine the sacred cows? And all of those things only happen when you have somewhere to go that is specific. And that's why I love stakeholders because stakeholders take this whole concept of leadership from 10,000 feet all the way down to the ground. You know, how will we know that we are doing the things that we want to do? What are the goals? Okay, and the other reality is that what do I need from Michelle? What do I need from Rachel? Because that conversation opens up what you need from me. See, we're not comfortable doing all this thing because we've come to these points many times without all of these things being achieved. The key issue, and, and the other thing that I will say to you, I think where there is a dearth in nursing, that, and again, this is only the groups that I've worked with, is there's not enough focus on development. You know, in business, we spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on development. How will Rachel be, you know, better at doing not only what she's doing, we have to look at, is she capable of moving to the next level? And instead of punishing her because maybe she's not very good at presentations, we will help her by developing some process in which she will be developed and we will allow that to be measured. You know, none of us are finished products. I'm not a finished product and I've been doing this a long time. So development is a key issue because if you make people feel like you have to be there. You have just reinforced the imposter syndrome. If you say, Rachel, you're really good at this. One of the things that would be required of you in this job, though, is the following. How do you feel you are with that? My experience has been a lot of times that they trust you, they'll tell you. I'll give you a perfect example of that. The number one fear of Americans is still speaking in front of a group. It's not snakes. It's not getting up on the high building. It's speaking in front of a group. And what happens when you get up in front of the group, you say, good, good, good morning. Uh, I'm very happy to be. You're not happy to be here at all. And your vocal cords know that. So again, it gets back to comfort zone, choice, and the concept of development, I think is critical, you know? And also that whole thing about strangers. 
we need to, to, to focus on your question. We need ways to establish rules of engagement. We need to have a real vision of where we're gonna go. And that's based on, um, on the whole concept of stakeholders. And by the way, a lot of times we forget the fact that if you're in a faculty, you're a stakeholder. And so, you know, we deal with students, we deal with administration, we deal with everything else. Well, let's face it, we should be dealing with each other too. So we have to establish the rules of engagement. And the other interesting thing is we have to sign our name to it. People don't like to sign their names. We only sign our name to important documents in this world, okay? When you sign your name to something, that's why you'll get some resistance. Well, why do I have to sign my name? Isn't my word good enough? Yeah, your word's good enough, but let's talk about comfort. Uh, is there any discomfort in signing your name? And the discomfort is I'm being held to measurement. And a lot of times we don't like to be held to measurement, okay? I, I agree. You know, real quick too, I just wanna circle back because I keep getting pulled back to your comment about development and measurement pulls me back to this idea between understanding and differentiating between productivity and activity. And I think that sometimes a very intentional no can be more productive um, or get us closer to the outcome than a yes that is just for activity that doesn't move us towards an outcome. Um, and it makes me think about the system we find ourselves in as educators where we're asked, well, how many publications did you submit? How many grants did you go after? How many presentations did you do? You know, how many people did you mentor? And it's about how, mu how much, I should say, rather than an absolute. My question is, I'm wondering how many times is this about activity versus productivity of getting us closer to our outcome and in alignment with our why. Um, and our vision. And our yeah. vision, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that gets back to something as simple as this. I'm a great list guy. I mean, I, 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 first of all, I'm a morning person and Elaine is a creature that creeps out of bed until she gets coffee. <laughs> there is no way you wanna communicate, okay? Um, but that's, that's personal. So, but if I look at the reality of my list, a lot of times what happens is it's a happy list. It makes me happy because 28 of the 30, I have achieved. Well, the reality is the two that I didn't achieve are the hard ones. And so it's the same thing with, you only have a limited amount of time. You only have a limited amount of reasonable time if you wanna maintain resilience. See, one of the real dangers in nursing from my experience again, is that I don't think nurses spend enough time being resilient with regard to caring for themselves. Now that's, that's a blanket statement, okay? If you are not caring for yourself, at some point in time, you're probably gonna burn out or you're gonna be less effective or it may take an effect on your health, on your relationships. Well, it's the same thing in any occupation. There's never a perfect sequence, but if you don't understand where outcome is and what the desired things that you wish to accomplish, you will be overwhelmed with activities. You know, and, I, and I've, I've learned to say no about things. There's a lot of times will somebody say, Sal, could you do this for me? And my, my feeling level is, gee, if I say no, they're not gonna like me. Well, that's okay, but what is the penalty for that? This pain and pleasure reality again, okay? What happens is, at the end of six months, I've got 84 billion activities, but I haven't touched my outcomes. And so 
outcome, by the way, is a, a way of dealing with discomfort, which is beneficial. You know, if the outcome is big enough, I'm willing to be uncomfortable. If the outcome is big enough, I am willing to take new risks. If the outcome, and see, this is the only way you get people out of their sandboxes. Harriet, who has taught Nursing 101 for 2,000 years, well, you expect Harriet to change overnight because you said something. Harriet has tenure. She could care less about your view. You're a millennial. She doesn't like you. You've never been kind to all of the reasons, okay? Only if Harriet, you either cultivate the pain. And in my world, we have a lot more ways to do that. You know, I mean, you don't start out by wanting to terminate somebody. But the reality is you always have that in your arrow here, okay? You also have the other reality of you can move them to another position. Um, you know, that person that you're saying, she is resistant to change. I would guarantee one thing. If you could get in her shoes and see where she's coming from with regard to unexamined beliefs, pain, pleasure, self-talk, you would understand why she's saying no to you. Now, there are a lot of times when you can't afford to spend the rest of your life trying to get her on board. But if you begin with the idea she's a turkey and we'll never get her to change, you have missed maybe an opportunity. There's got to be something there. And I'll tell you, visualization was something I thought was snake oil. I thought hey, it was a lot of nonsense, okay? Well, Victor and I and other people, when I was in San Diego, we had the opportunity to work with flyers who had been in Vietnam, Hanoi Hilton. I mean, talk about unbelievable experience. And one of them was a flyer that had been in the Hanoi Hilton for six and a half years. He was about six foot three, weighed 104 pounds. He had every lesion you could imagine, every illness. He had, had malaria, he was beaten, he had broken bones. And one of the doctors at the hospital said, I'll name him, it wasn't his real name because I wanna be gracious about his identity. Henry, now that you're home, is there anything we could do for you? He said, I would really like to play Torrey Pines golf course doctor said, no way, are you insane in your condition? And the flyer looked at him and he said, you know, doc, for six and a half years, people have been telling me what to do. I thought I was home. Now we're stuck. So the team agrees, we'll put the guy in an ambulance, take him over to Torrey Pines. He'll take one swing, collapse, back in the ambulance. He'll be dehydrated, but he'll be okay. He plays 18 holes of golf. <laughs> Comes back, he's dehydrated, but after he's finished with all the tests, the doctor who's an avid golfer comes into the room and says, Henry, I cannot get over this. You played that tough golf course, you played 18 holes of golf. And what really blows my mind is you shot 87. I'm a golfer, I've never shot 87, but this is the point that just really, just, it overwhelms me. You didn't three putt one green. And Henry said, Doc, I haven't three putt a green in six and a half years. What he did in captivity was even during the beatings, he would play in his mind 
every golf course he had ever played. He would see the flight of the ball. He would, you know, he would look at the green. We now know that's what pilots are trained to do. Nurses are trained to do surgeons. It's seeing it before it occurs. And in our heads, there's a reality called the reticular activating system. And you would go crazy if you didn't have a way to sort out all the stimuli that you face every day. You only see what's important because human beings are target oriented. And so when you pick up the newspaper and it says, oh, wow, Joe Jones is having a, a lease sale on Toyotas. That ad has been running for three years, but you didn't see it because it wasn't important. But it's the same thing with outcome. If you can't convey, and that's why visuals are so important, that's why truly when you have a vision, that's not some Mickey Mouse thing you put in a drawer, that creates inspiration and avows choice and leads to meaning. You know, and by the way, we, we are target oriented to the point that if your speech is always negative and you operate by a lot of unexplained um, rules and regulations, don't be surprised if you attract more and more negative circumstances and more and more negative people. It's not pie in the sky. When you say, I want this to happen, you know, there's a big difference between these three words. One is I wish, really nice, you know, um, I wish I were in Italy. I want to be in Italy, a little stronger. I choose to be in Italy now makes it different because that requires behavior, it requires choices. And see, outcome is always not I wish and I want, it's I choose. And so you have to elevate the reasons why, you know, why would somebody want to be a leader? It's messy. You might get your brains knocked in. You're going to have people not like you. You're going to go home and, and sit and look at the wall sometimes and say, am I wacky? Why am I doing this? It has to have meaning and it has to have relevance and it has to make something better. Because I asked Viktor Frankl one time, because I think there are a lot of definitions to leadership. I said, Victor, what's leadership? And he said, service to others. Wow. This comes from the giant, service to others. There are a million ways in your life over a period in the span where you will have the opportunity to be service to others. You know, I used to laugh at Mr. Rogers when my kids were watching him. It would be a heck of a lot better if we had more people like him in the world. You know, I used to think, why in heaven's name would anybody watch this guy? You know, it was so Mickey Mouse taking off his shoes. The guy was profound because he was talking about change. He was talking about leadership. He was cutting through all the stereotypes. He was cutting through all the myths. And he was saying, if you want your life to be better, be kind. If you want your life to be better, do something. If you want your life to be better, look for a rainbow. Boy, I missed the boat. My kids understood it. I didn't. That's great, Sal. Thank you so much. And uh, the one thing that kept resonating for me through so much of what you said, or you used the words safety, uh, rules of engagement, trust, um, you know, understanding, listening, and that those words really, when I put them all together, Rachel, I really think about 
what I know is our, our philosophy in teaching is really developing and building a safe container of learning for our students and to develop that trust. And something that Rachel says all the time, she'll say to her students, I really want you to take risks. You know, I wanna create a space to allow you to take risks in the service of learning. And I'm actually taking away from this conversation uh, with you, Sal, is that, you know, maybe as nurse educators, you know, we need to create an environment um, uh, to allow each other to take risks in the service of teaching. Um, and maybe, you know, this can also become a, a, a different, you know, not just maybe a teaching philosophy for our students, but a teaching philosophy for ourselves um, and with one another. And um, with that, I, I do want to, um, Ask Rachel, did you have any other comments or, or thoughts that you wanted to share before we no, close out? No, I um, I think this is a great time, a great place to land and transition. I just want to circle back really quick, Sal, and say, you know, I am a student of trying to learn to say no. And I heard you say you, you say no to things. I just want to thank you for not saying no to this, <laughs> because I think you have shared with our viewers some really important, insightful wisdom that I think can be really beneficial to nursing education. So I just want to thank you. Well, it's really been my pleasure. I, I love these kind of environments because it's an opportunity for us to discuss the important things. And I think a lot of times that question of reflection does not exist in our world. You know, we're busy, busy, busy. And I think it's always helpful to sit down and say, okay, where are we going? What's valuable? And what do I need to look at? That's great, thank you. And, um, you know, Sal, if you, um, are interested, we have some rapid fire questions um, that you know we really wanna to get to some more of the, the fun things in life um, and rapid fire, right? So about 10 to 20 seconds each. Um, so I'm gonna start with some of these questions. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, if you were to write a memoir, uh, what would you title the book? Well, I've kind of written my memoir already, but it was called <laughs> On the Corner. And it was because I'm a city kid and we spent so much time on the corner that, uh, so that's the title of my memoir. Uh, the second, if it were a new memoir, it would be the musings of a pilgrim because pilgrims always enter a new world and a new life. And uh, there are all sorts of challenges and opportunities in front of them. So that would be my second memoir. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, and I will add the current memoir to my list, reading list, and I will look forward to the future one. <laughs> um, what, what is on top of your reading list right now for fun? Um, well, I have two of them. One of them is not for fun. It's uh, The Health Gap by Michael Marmot. Uh, just really phenomenal in, in the disparities between, you know, basically white American people of color and how it affects the whole scene of healthcare. And for fun, uh, my granddaughter and I are reading the whole series of Harry Potter. <laughs> that, that is awesome. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a sneaky way for me to get uh, her to read more, but it was almost, more important than that. It's really about relationship and it's been fun going back and forth with her. And um, I encourage her to get ahead of me because she loves that that, you know, she's ahead of her grandfather. And then I have to say to her, I'm gonna have to catch up this week, Erica. So that's been real fun for me. That's wonderful. What a great challenge. Um, what is your favorite quote? My favorite quote is, if you find the why, 
you will always find the how. It's, you know, it's, it's so true that once people find something that they believe in, it's remarkable what they will do to achieve that. And last one, if you could have dinner with one person dead or alive, who would it be? Well, I'm going to split this one and not answer that the way you've asked it. Um, my parents and Viktor Frankl. I mean, outside of my parents, nobody taught me as much about life as Victor. So if I could, you know, amend your question, I would love to have dinner with the three of them. That sounds great. And uh, Rachel and I, in, in having um, answering these questions for ourselves, um, we also had several people we were having dinner with. So <laughs> we appreciate um, not being able to really limit it, to, limit it to just one person. Well, and the other reality is I always tell Elaine this, the wonderful thing about being Italian is that all rules are suggestions. <laughs> I can appreciate that. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us. And um, we just really had a wonderful, we, I just feel um, spoiled in having such a wonderful conversation uh, and to be able to learn from your wisdom and your experience. So thank you very much. You're welcome.